If you're listening to this episode, you're listening to one of our first ever episodes. Yay, you. Uh, Depending on which episode you're listening to, you may notice that we're still working some things out like the music in episode one or the just general audio audio problems that we have all the time sorry yeah we want to leave these episodes up to show our progress so this disclaimer is to thank you for listening and hopefully you'll have patience with these things yes we definitely ironed it out in season two so more to come What is dog? Is it the question or the answer? Actually featuring an adoptable dog from a first-time foster mom, Gabrielle. Rocky is between the ages of 18 to 24 months old. He's 80 pounds and he's this gorgeous pit bull, Sarah. Oh my gosh, the pictures are so cute. I can't wait. Our listeners, you have to see our Instagram because they're going to be posted and he's so cute. (laughs) He is like unbelievably adorable and he also looks super snuggly like a lot of the pictures are showing him where he's like crawling all over his mom and his dad or his foster mom and his foster dad and it's adorable so basically um just a little bit more about rocky so gabrielle saw rocky's video on facebook about two weeks after they moved to a new area they like totally up and moved to a new state and gabrielle found out that a shelter in that area had to make a euthanization list because they need more space, which is so sad. No, that's tragic. I know, and Rocky was actually number one on that list. No! (laughs) Yeah, poor guy. I think it's it's probably, I mean, I don't want to infer anything, but maybe a little bit because he's a pit bull and they have that awful, um, you know, that stigma that they just can't seem to lose, but every single pit bull I've ever known is the most adorable, the most snuggly pet in the world. Yeah. I've never met an aggressive pit bull. Never, ever. So basically, obviously, they knew they had to get Rocky out of there. So she called multiple rescues to try to see if like anyone else would take the dog and no one was calling her back. She had never fostered before. So this was totally new to her and she had no clue what she was doing. Um, luckily, we've already learned about them last week. Farm dog fosters and Chloe provided her a lot of guidance and kind of helped out along the way, which is so great. And basically the day they were going to pick um, Rocky up because they could find no one else and they just decided to jump into this fostering game, mm-hmm. a, re- a rescue finally got back to Gabrielle and agreed to let her foster. I guess they probably have to be like hooked up with a rescue to get that official fostering title. Gotcha. Okay. And she pulled him out of that shelter and Rocky did not know a single thing. He had so much pent up energy. He was a puppy <laughs> that had never oh. been in and he just couldn't focus. He barely knew how to walk, like on a leash, and he actually had rashes all over him. And off the bat, um, they found out that he absolutely loved humans, and he basically just wanted to be loved in return. Um, Rocky quickly became friends with Gabrielle's dog, Jax, and they cannot get enough of each other. They're the best of friends. Today, Rocky's rashes are completely healed. He socialized with humans, cats, and dogs. He's well-behaved, and he goes to daycare and especially loves going on adventures. 
So if you are interested in adopting Rocky, we really want at least one of our dogs that we feature to get adopted from one of our listeners. So to learn more, please reach out directly to Gabrielle at, and I'm going to spell this email address after I say it, it's gabriellelmoyne at gmail.com. Gabrielle, I'm sorry if I'm butchering that pronunciation, so I'm going to spell it. It's G-A-B-R-I-E. L-L-E-L-M-O-E-N at gmail.com. <laughs> that was really long. Yeah, we'll post it too because that's like crazy. And some of you are in your car and cannot write that down. <laughs> All right, let's, well, I would love to see Rocky get adopted. I can't wait for you listeners to see the pictures of him because he is so snuggly. He is ridiculously adorable. Yeah, he really is. All right, um. We're going to hop into today's episode. We are interviewing somebody today. Yay! That is so exciting! I know. I love... That's my favorite kind of episode that we do is when we do interviews. I just love meeting new people and hearing their perspectives about dogs. And last month, we devoted a few of our episodes to the very big dilemma of what to feed your dog. We found that the history of dog food has been wrought with some shady marketing schemes. To say the least. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Uh, there were supposedly healthy biscuits that wealthy people were supposed to feed their dog. Um, and then there's studies and articles that were funded by dog food companies. So right. I there. Um, and then we learned that kibble is basically burnt food with vitamins and min- minerals sprayed on in like a fine coating. And that there are lots of health disorders that are potentially linked to that diet. Right. And, and to be a fair to kibble companies, like they do a lot of science and there's a lot of science in it, but we're not impressed by the way that they prepare the food in order to give it that shelf life that they need. Agreed. <laughs> we're trying as hard as we can to get to the bottom of dog diet and just what is the best thing for your dog. But I think we can agree that we're in over our heads. Yes. So this week we're bringing in an expert. Ruth Hatton. Yay! <laughs> Ruth Hatton lives in Brisbane, Australia. I hope I said that right. That Brisbane. Like to me. Okay. Cool. cool. I'm not very good at this stuff either, though. <laughs> <laughs> she studied small animal naturopathy at the National College of Traditional Medicine and currently works to provide cats and dogs with natural remedies for disease prevention and optimal health. Whoa, what's animal naturopathy? I am not sure, but I'm sure she'll tell us if we ask her. I can't wait to find out. I know. Early in her career, she became a lawyer, and then she also became an animal advocate and worked for the Animal Protection Institute in Sydney, Australia. Good for her. That's, I'm sure that took a lot of schooling. Absolutely. Today, she also assists with legislative change, policy improvements, and education via collaborations with a number of organizations, including... Voiceless, the Animal Institute, Center for Compassionate Conservation, and the Australian Animal Protection Law Journal. That's amazing. Definitely interested to hear a holistic person's point of view on this because remember the dog food advisor is basically um, for ad- an advocate. Sorry, an advocate in the law but for the pet food industry. So it's good that there's people on both ends of the spectrum on this. Absolutely. One of the things I like most about Ruth is that she takes a holistic approach to animal health. 
at least it seems like that from what I've seen on her website and her social media accounts. Um, yeah. She's also a really big advocate for animals. So kind of like you were saying, she just, she's on the side of the animals, you know, she advocates for them through the law and she also advocates for their health with what she does. Um, all animals, not just dogs. And she, she seems to truly love all creatures, great and small. So uh, I'll save the details for our interview with her. I can't wait to see what she says. Me neither. Let's go talk to her now. Ruth, thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to talk to you. We're so impressed by you. Um, we found your profile and we just had to talk to you more. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Like that's, that's very nice of you to say that. Can you describe your journey as a pet healer and advocate? Like, uh, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I guess it starts from when, you know, when I was a little girl, like I've always loved animals. Um, and we always had cats and dogs growing up. So they were always, always, just always around. And so I actually would never be able to live myself without cats and dogs around because I'm just, it's just, you know, you get used to it. Um, and then when I was 11, I went vegetarian. Um, so we had some um, university, college, you would say college, um, where you guys are, but university yeah. here. So we had some students staying at our house. Like we used to have boarders stay. Like, so they'd go to university or college locally and we'd, they'd stay in like little kind of like um, units in the back of our property. Um, and so they, we had these two girls at once and they were vegetarian and I, that was it kind of like flicked a switch in me thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have to eat animals. So, <laughs> and then I, and then I went vegan, um, some years later. Um, and then it was through that journey that I, like I was, I had become a lawyer by, by, well, I think I was studying when I became vegan and then. And then obviously I became qualified and I was just thinking, what can I do to help animals with the skills that I have? Right. Um, I discovered animal law. Um, I joined a university animal welfare group that I, like I'd finished university. I never even went to that university, but I knew someone who went there and who was in charge of this group. So I joined the group just so I could be doing something. Um, I went to seminars, I started networking with people and then I got a job as an animal lawyer in Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I did that for a few years and then I came home for various reasons. So back to Brisbane in Queensland and I went back to working for law firms and I hated it. And I, I felt frustrated that I wasn't doing anything. I mean, obviously I wasn't eating animals, which, you know, is a huge thing um, in terms of helping animals. but I just felt like I, I wanted to and needed to do more. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought, what else could I do with my life, um, you know, my working life that I could help animals? Um, and my mother suggested animal naturopathy. Mm. Um, and I was like, is that even a thing? Um, <laughs> yeah. So this, yeah. What it's is right. that? <laughs> exactly. Like, does that even <laughs> exist? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, that would be perfect because I'm also like, I'm also very interested in health and wellness. Um, so I kind of ticked a couple of boxes there. Um, and yeah, so that, and then in 2014, I started 
my studying my course, my animal naturopathy course. <laughs> and then, cool. yeah, and then um, as I finished each component of that course, so nutrition was the first component of that course. So once I, once I finished the nutrition component, I started practicing, like I started my business and I started offering pet nutrition services and it just continued to grow from that point. That's amazing. Um, that's such a, you know, incredible path. And the term na animal naturopath is, is one that is new to us, me and Sarah, um, and most likely our listeners. Can you describe what that means? Yeah. So do you know what a naturopath is for humans? Like, have you ever been to a naturopath? I, I have not. I haven't either. You haven't either? Okay, so I've seen quite a few in my, in my time. Um, <laughs> so an, an animal naturopath is basically the human equivalent of, well, not a human, it's basically the equivalent of a human naturopath, but for animals. Okay. Um, and so what a naturopath does, a naturopath takes a you know, holistic approach to wellness. So, you know, if you go see a doctor, a doctor will generally just say, okay, you've got this thing wrong with you. Here are some drugs to treat the symptoms. And that's pretty much it. Right. Um, so what a naturopath will do, a naturopath will, because a naturopath takes a holistic approach, a naturopath will look at your diet, will look at your lifestyle, will look at your behavior, your emotional, your mental, your spiritual health as well. Um, so it really is looking at all aspects of, uh, of your life, or in my case, as an animal naturopath, of the animal's life. Um, and in terms of a health condition, I don't just look at the symptoms. Like I do look at the symptoms. I do consider the symptoms. But the goal is to identify the, what's causing the symptoms and to fix the root problem. Um, so, you know, applying that holistic approach. So applying, the, you know, looking at the diet, looking at the lifestyle, looking at behavior, looking at emotional, mental, um, you know, well-being. So that's, that's kind of like in a nutshell. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I had never heard of naturopathy. So it sounds like that's the term for a doctor or just someone who would take a holistic approach to health. Yeah, it might be. In Australia, a naturopath is not a doctor. You know, we don't go to college and get a medical degree. Um, we go and study naturopathy um, and then we're called a naturopath. We've seen these different terms on your website. We have uh, a few coming up that we're going to ask you about the real food diet checklist, nutritional therapy, diet transition plan. Are all of those different aspects of naturopath? The real food diet checklist and the diet transition plans are products that I have created to help people feed their animals a better diet, a, healthy, a healthier diet than what the majority of people are feeding. Um, and then nutritional, so I can go, I can explain those a bit more, I guess. Um, I'd love to hear more about the real food diet checklist. So Sarah and I recently, we kind of went on a little bit of a journey. Um, yep. We started looking, we did a few episodes on dog nutrition because we were obviously very concerned about the reports that were coming out, um, tying lentils, um, things like that to heart disease. So we started searching, you know, what can we feed our dogs right now so that they are the healthiest that they can possibly be. One of the things that we uncovered, which was really interesting, was first, of course, having some sort of real food element to the diet, but also 
really mixing it up and having a variety. And that was something that we never grew up with knowing. I was always kind of, you picked one dog food and you kind of stuck with it. And after it's, it's kind of common sense after the fact to think, well, how could you say that one dog food is going to be everything that your dog needs for life? It just doesn't make any sense, but that's what we're doing. So I'd love to hear more about kind of the real food diet checklist and um, what, what you do for that and how, and how it was developed. Yeah. So you're exactly right. Like even when I grew up as a kid, um, you know, we fed, like I would never feed my, the animals I have now what the animals I had as a child were being fed never in a million years. Yes. Um, you know, like dried, like over in the US, like you call it kibble. Yep. Um, you know, kibble and then canned, um, canned food. Um, but basically, yeah, you're always feeding the same kind of food all the time. Yeah. Um, and I actually like to refer to the kibble diet as like McDonald's for pets. Yeah, um, because it's. it's it <laughs> I think we to referred me. to McDonald's actually in one of our podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'm not the only one who does it, but um, <laughs> it's just I do often because I it I think people can relate to that really well, and I use it in a way of saying, you know, I say that it's like McDonald's for pets or junk food for pets because it is so highly processed. Um, there's really not any real food left in the product that is being fed. Um, and just like a human body will thrive on eating real food rather than eating something that's been really, really processed and it doesn't in any way, shape or form resemble its natural original state. Um, this, this is the same thing for animals. So, you know, a body is going to thrive. We're all animals. We're all mammals, like cats and dogs and humans. We're all mammals, right? We have very, we have, you know, we have the same organs. We have skin, we have, have muscle, we have skeletons. Um, you know, we have our digestive systems differ, um, but they, we still have the same digestive organs, right? So in the same way that real, healthy, whole foods are good for us and eating a variety of foods is good for us, it's also good for our cats and our dogs. And if we think about, I mean, you know, I have on my desk right here sitting with me my, my cat, one of my cats who's a Berman, um, and I can't imagine her out in the wild, but the cat derived from the African wild cat and the dog, as you know, almost everyone knows, derived from a particular species of the wolf. So if you think about what diet they were eating um, before the domestic versions evolved, you know, they weren't just eating one type of food. I mean, they would eat what was available because obviously they've got to hunt their prey or scavenge leftovers, um, but they're not just eating one type of food. Um, they're getting a variety of foods that are available in their environment. And even that can change a bit. Like if you're a wolf in a cold climate um, or if you're a wolf in a climate where you're, there's ocean around you, then you're probably going to eat more fish than land animals and things like that. So there's always those um, locational or environmental differences to a diet. But without you know, getting really too technical and off topic, <laughs> um, the, the real food diet checklist is really to help people understand what are the real, what is real food that we can feed our cats and our dogs, the foods that are essential for optimum wellness. So you can feed a standard cat diet or a standard dog diet and your dog and cat may be fine. But these foods, um, the majority of foods on the market today are not 
what I call health promoting foods. They don't promote health. Your animal may survive on that food, but they won't necessarily thrive on it. Um, if they're not thriving, then they're going to get disease earlier, um, potentially earlier than if they, if they were eating a diet that had real food in it that was meeting all the nutritional needs for them to thrive rather than just survive. It's kind so of it's like just us a, too, where, you know, exactly. humans, um, we can be okay and we can still survive when we're eating bad foods every day. Like I have a, a really bad habit. I don't know if you have Panera up there, but I have a terrible habit with going through Panera drive throughs all the time, which is like a, it's a pseudo healthy food basically in the U.S., and I'm fine, but I don't feel very good every day. Whereas Sarah focuses a lot more on her nutrition and she exercises when she might, she feels a lot better every single day and she's really promoting her health. So it's exactly like us, basically. Yeah, exactly. It's survive or thrive. And the way I see it is for my own animals, I don't want them to just survive. I want them to be healthy. I want them to be happy and I want them to live as long a life as possible, provided they're in a good state of health. Like I wouldn't obviously put them, you know, through, you know, just make them live for as long as I want them to live and be selfish like that, of course. Right. But it's about giving, giving the foods, the environment, the lifestyle, the love, of course. A love is a very important aspect of thriving. Um, but I can do the absolute very best that I can to help them live a full, happy, healthy and, and long life, right? Um, and I think that's what a lot of pet, um, you know, I'm always careful with the language that I use. Like I don't have a problem with the word pet because pet, if you look at the history of the word pet, it's actually in a, a term of affection, but people get very hung up on the word pet. Mm -hmm. Um, I almost let slip out pet owner. Um, and owner is a bit different. Like owner, obviously it's like we own them, we, but you know, they're our property. And so that comes into the whole animal law thing. Animals are a property. Yeah. You know, they're just like a chair or a table and clearly they're not. So I'm always quite careful of my language. And so, um, but yeah, obviously with, you know, for people who, you know, human companions to cats and dogs, you know, I'm sure majority want their animals to be, you know, healthy and happy. Of course. And um, when Sarah was doing research on your website too, she found the diet transition plan and I was, Super interested in finding about that um, with so much variety in the dog food. Um, you know, one of the cardinal rules that we've always kind of been told is to transition them slowly. I'm assuming that has to do with um, the different varieties of foods you're giving, or is it just to real dog food in general? No, it would be with any food, but obviously the, the diet transition plan that's available on my website is really i mean it is for people who want to transition their pet onto a new diet so it can just be used from going commercial to commercial um but mainly because of you know my role as an animal naturopath um it is more so i more so make it available to people when they're transitioning from you know a commercial packaged processed diet to more of a real food diet um so a home prepared diet might be a raw diet um you know what have you so but yeah, as I said, it can be used for transitioning from any, any diet to another diet. And quality, it really just gives them guidance on how to do it safely. Um, my, the approach that I take with my, um, you know, my, my, it's always hard for me, you know, it's like 
the clients are the humans <laughs> and the customers are the animals for me. Because the, client, the clients are the like ones that. who hire me and they pay me. They give but you my, money. <laughs> actually, my customer, because you know, you know, the cat can't ring me up and say, hello, can you please come over? I'm feeling got a bit of an infection. I wish they could. I know, right? (laughs) Um, So yeah, the human is the client and the customer is the animal. So, and I forgot forgot what I was going to say, but um, (laughs) but yeah, basically in a nutshell, the diet transition plan is to help them help people so that they can avoid like the most common side effect when transitioning um, a cat or a dog to a new diet is diarrhea. Um, so, or I remember what I was going to say now. So it's basically putting in place or encouraging or recommending a very gentle approach. And that's how I do everything in my business with my customers yeah. um, is that I apply a gentle approach, especially if they're sick. Um, you don't want to bombard them with too much at, at, at once. Right. Um, and it's the same with a new diet. You know, there's no harm in going slow, but you can cause harm if you go too fast. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense to us. Both Sarah and I have dogs that have food allergies and we do struggle with, you know, booster stools, things like that. So um, that makes a lot of sense to us. And it sounds like um, you do it responsibly, of course, which is which yes. is number one. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Cause no harm. <laughs> yeah. For the first two years of my, I have a D- Dalmatian named Duke and for the first two years of his life, we were feeding him kibble, and he just always, his stomach is so sensitive, he always had the runniest poop, it was kind of gross, and um, I did a little bit of research online, and this is one of the things that led me to you, actually, I um, I started adding just a little bit of pumpkin to his diet and other fresh foods, just in a slow transition, but getting those fresh fruits and foods in there, and it just cleared up the problem, like, in That's a week. amazing. Like what? Because we we have been seeing the vet, and the vet kept recommending these like special kibble like for sensitive stomachs, and nothing, it never fixed uh, trouble. Ruth, that is our pet peeve. <laughs> we have left so many vets because they're. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but we found that they are really peddling food that we we think we don't know for sure. We think that they are being given some sort of. Um, monetary benefit for having that that food in their their um, vet's office um so we just well, they would yeah i mean yeah. This, the exact same thing happens here in australia um yeah. it annoys me too like a lot of my clients will come to me and say you know my dog has allergies my dog has pancreatitis or da, 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 da. the vets recommended this food what do you think and my answer is always no right. that is not that is not the best food for your dog. Um, and obviously I list off the reasons why and take them through, you know, the ingredients in that food and why it's not a healthy option for their animal and why it's not necessarily going to, sometimes those foods can help, but in my experience, a lot of the time they either don't help or it becomes a trading game. You end up trading one disease for another disease. So it might help with the allergies, but then it causes other problems down the track, um, you know. So in terms of whether the vets are getting any kickback or anything, I mean, they are. I think it's like any business, right? right. You, if you have a shop and you sell a product, right, you will take a portion of that product, won't you? Of course. You can, you yeah. can have it there for nothing. That's exactly right. So they are, they're providing a service to the pet food industry by selling 
or the pet food companies by selling their foods. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is, if there is some monetary compensation. Um, there's also um, the factor that in the same, in a similar way that doctors learn or learn a very small amount of nutrition in their in their medical degree, vets similarly similarly only learn a very small amount of nutrition um, in their veterinary degrees. Um, there are obviously vets out there who go out and do additional studies on nutrition, but a lot of the times what I believe is that there, and I know this from personal experience at one of the vet schools here in Australia where I went to give a lecture not on um, animal medicine but on um, animal law. It just happened to be in the vet school. Mm. Um, and plastered over the school was um, advertising from a very prominent uh. Uh, pet food company um, and there was like media articles written about how much funding this particular company gives to this particular school uh. um, and to make matters worse the nutrition component in the veterinary science degree was taught by representatives from this pet food company uh. So, of course, you know, a bit biased, right? Of course, they're going to be yeah. saying, oh, well, if an animal presents with an allergy, then you should be this food from our range. I know. Um, yeah, I know. so it is, it is really, really concerning. Um, and I've had vets say to me, you know, I had one of my cats, my youngest cat, struggled with urinary issues for some time um, as a result of stress from right. house renovations and things like that. And they said to me, you need to feed this special urinary food. I said, there's no way in hell. And they knew what I, they knew what I do, right? And I said, there's no way in hell. I'm very honest, upfront, transparent kind of person. I said, there's no way in hell I'm going to feed that food to my, anim to my cat. I wouldn't, feed it, I wouldn't recommend it to my clients and I certainly will not feed it to my cat. It's just right. not going to happen. Um, so, you know, and obviously she was just like, well, you know, what are you going to do? Like. You know, <laughs> clearly I have had a very firm view on this and I, my cat doesn't have those issues anymore. And, you know, the, those foods do have a certain benefit to them in terms of the science behind it. Right. So, for example, with a urinary condition, um, particularly with struvite crystals, it has to do with, you know, I can't even remember at the moment because, you know, almost my bedtime, but you know, <laughs> one of the things is um, the magnesium levels in food. So when an animal has struvite crystals, it's really important to monitor the magnesium in the food. So with the urinary food by these, you know, prescription brands, they, they do take all that science into account, but it's still a nutrient a nutritionally deficient food. It still contains pet grade ingredients. It's still highly processed. And it's still supplemented with synthetic vitamins and mineral, minerals. So nutrients that have been grown in a laboratory that do, are not derived from food. So they're my problems with that food. If they were less processed, um, contained human-grade ingredients and contained vitamins and minerals from food sources, then I would probably be recommending those foods. But they don't meet those criteria. Right. Yeah. I know. On one hand, the small business person in me, I totally understand why the vets need to bring in another revenue stream. And I feel for them there. But I just think that there should be some other way, like something that we can help out our vets 
to learn more about nutrition or produce more people in the pet industry like yourself that is really advocating for pet nutrition, researching it and providing, um, you know, the right way forward for things to do like this. Because before Sarah and I started this podcast, admittedly, I just did not know as much as I needed to. And I kind of just blindly trusted whatever pet food companies. And I just, it's just not the, it's not the right way. And it's because of really smart marketing and I'm a marketer. So I understand it's because of really smart marketing and, um, and just, you know, habit and doing things that are convenient to us. So I, I so appreciate everything that you're doing. That's for sure. Thank you. <laughs> um, I know we've touched on this a lot, but how does nutritional therapy differ from, for instance, the real food diet? Yeah, so I, I wouldn't say it differs. It's just how I choose to refer to what I do. Gotcha. Um, so nutritional therapy to me is using food as medicine um, to help animals heal from and prevent disease. So other people might just call it pet nutrition. Um, it might also be called clinical nutrition. Um, but basically what it means is, yeah, as I said, it's using food as medicine. So, you know, the majority of clients who come to me, their animals are already sick. I, I do I do encourage, and it's why I created um, the Real Food Diet Checklist, um, I do encourage people to think about how to feed their animals in a way to prevent disease. So instead of waiting and then coming to me when they're sick, actually take steps now to prevent disease so you don't need to come to me ever, <laughs> um, which as a business model, probably not that great. But, um, you know, the main reason why I do what I do is to help animals. Um yeah, so it's just really, yeah, as I said, it's using food as medicine to help them heal. Um, and in the same, you know, I do incorporate sometimes with clients, um, with my customers, herbal medicine as well and other types of natural remedies. But it really is just, yeah, it's, I mean, it's therapy based on nutrition. That's great. And we saw also that you do a lot of work with Reiki um, I actually have a family member who does Reiki for humans, and I just wanted to hear a little bit more about kind of the work that you do. And are there any certain ailments that you treat with Reiki in particular, or a common one that you that you treat? Common one for me is where there's some kind of past trauma. Mm. Um, so with the clients who've come to me for Reiki for their animals, it is generally sometimes it might be where there has been an incident like a car accident or something um but yeah i find that a lot of people that come to me it is where there's been some kind of trauma like maybe they're a rescue animal or they've been or has been an accident or you know in particular instance there was you know a cat had been in an accident so it was to help the cat but also the dog who the cat lived with had started to um approach or treat the cat very differently and so that was obviously having an effect on the cat as well as on the humans and so the human was like can you help because my dog is trying to attack my cat and my cat has just had surgery and lost a leg um you know so it was really about you know you can't necessarily heal those kinds of things with food um right. i mean food can play a role in behavioral issues but and even you know in any kind of you know, obviously from a holistic perspective, it, it has a role. But when there's some like emotional trauma, I find Reiki to be really beneficial 
Right. Um, and in case, you know, obviously um, Lauren, um, I can't remember now whether it was Lauren who said this or not, um, you have a family member who does Reiki, so yes, you probably understand yep. what it is. But for some of the listeners, you know, it's a Japanese form of energy healing. So it can be hands on the animal or the human, but it can also be hands off. Um, and I, I do it. I do it remote. I do it in person. So in, in the same um, environment as the physical environment as the animal just depends on the animal's locality and where the client obviously is and where I am. Right. Um, and I do incorporate it in what I call um, on my website bodywork therapy. So bodywork therapy just started off as being massage therapy or the fancy name is myofunctional therapy. Mm. Um, so that's a very, you know, that's a very physical body therapy. And so I wanted to be able to dig a little bit deeper and tap into the energy body, um, which might sound a bit woo-woo to some of your listeners. I am, I can be a bit, you know, woo-woo. <laughs> Um, I'm a big believer in spirituality and things like energy and the universe and things like that. And so for me, it was like, I don't just want to be treating the physical body. I also want to tap into the energetic body, the emotional body as well. Right. Um, and for some animals, they don't like to be touched. Um, so massage therapy is not an option. Right. Um, so that's when, you know, if I'm treating an animal and I'm going to them for massage and they just, there's an area where it's just like, no, don't touch me there. Yeah. Then I will use Reiki in conjunction with massage throughout the, the rest of their body. So it, I, I kind of, I use it in tandem. Right. Yeah. So within everything you are so entrenched in, you know, reading the dog's behavior or the animal's behavior and that's plays such a big role into it. So at, at some point you truly are holistic because you're adding in a little bit of training too, because you have to understand the dog's behavior, adjust your therapy for the moment. And um, totally. so that's, it's, you've kind of, you've become an animal therapist, you've become their nutritionist. You really are a full one-stop shop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, and with, I mean, with massage, you, you know, you can't just, you can't, force an animal to be massaged to take no. receive your massage it's not like if you're a human you go to a massage you know what's going to happen to you right. and you can tell your practitioner well that's a bit too hard take it easy um so the animal does the same thing they will either you know growl if they're a dog some will bark yeah um you know a cat may hiss or they'll just get up and walk away so it is very important to be you know to be focused and be aware and monitor how they are responding because you need to understand whether they're happy for you to do what you're doing or not, because you don't want to create more stress when right. you're actually trying to obviously massage and Reiki can be very relaxing. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't want to bring stress into the equation when, you know, it kind of like defeats the purpose, right? So true. I'm, I'm imagining you right now trying to massage my Jack Russell Terrier, whereas my St. Bernard mix would be totally fine with it, but I just don't think it would work on Jack Russell, but <laughs> Reiki would be yeah, a great yeah. solution for him because he's Probably. so, yeah, because he's so stressed out all the time and he's just, he's, um, he could really benefit. And it's just something, it sounded like this is something that I could even be a client of yours over in the U.S. Is that, is that true? Oh, totally. Wow. Absolutely. I can do it. You know, Reiki is, um, and you know, people who, some people have trouble believing in this kind of therapy. 
because it doesn't make logical sense. So if you're a very logical person, it could just be like, yeah, no, that's just a crock of BS, you know. Um, but if you are, we are all energetic beings, like energy is everywhere, right? And so mm -hmm. if you go into a room and it, you can feel that it's like a bit tense or if you might meet someone and be like, mm, you get a bad feeling about them, right? Yeah. That's all like energetic connection or energetic receptivity. So energy is everywhere. Um, and so this is you, Reiki is your, a Reiki practitioner is not doing the healing. A Reiki practitioner is acting as the channel for the healing. So, um, you know, I, I do call myself a healer, but I'm actually just a conduit for a channel for the Reiki energy. Um, and the energy is kind of like if you think about um, if you have any spiritual knowledge or awareness yourself, um, if you think if you've ever heard something like, you know, white light as very healing or golden light, right. um, it mm -hmm. is, it's about using the white light, the energetic healing light. So when I'm doing a Reiki session, I, I do incorporate, I mean, Reiki is based on the, and this is going on a whole other level as well, Reiki is based on the chakra system, which is like, you know, energy centers of the body. Um, and so I do incorporate the colors of those energy centers, but I also incorporate the white healing light as well when I'm doing Reiki. So that's probably a bit, you know, into the detail, but, you know, there might be some listeners out there who are like, yep, I, yep, I've heard all that kind of stuff before. I actually keep a white light over my desk at work and I turn it on for a little bit today just shine it on myself so it, it just makes me feel happier just having that white light yeah. there so yeah yeah feeling white light exactly <laughs> um just to round out the nutrition questions um Sarah found that you're actually currently working on a pet nutrition seminar um how can we get involved in that or could you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing yeah, it's actually going to be a course. Like I've been working on it for some time. Like I do have, I do run seminars. Obviously you can't go to Australian seminars. You have to like fly here. <laughs> um, I do, I do. I mean, it would be lovely to see you and have you there, but I do <laughs> have also offered webinars. Like occasionally I offer, offer webinars. So amazing. I just, I'm always trying to look at how can I access more people or how can more people access my services? Um, and so I thought, you know, I've been thinking for a long time, probably at least two years, I need to put a course together. Um, so for those people who, you know, they just want to, mainly for people who their animals don't have a health condition, but they just want to be, they just want to learn how to feed a healthy diet. Um, so a lot of the content's already created because it's based on previous webinars or seminars that I've done, but I'm putting more into it. So I'm putting more detail into it. And I'm also providing a lot of um, uh, supportive documents, so PDF downloads and things like that that can help people. Um, the idea is that it would effectively replace a consultation with me, right? Um, but at a cheaper cost, obviously, because it's a group, you know, group kind of course. Well, it's just available there for any anyone to do it whenever they wish, right? Right. Um, yeah. So that's that's basically the idea of it. It hasn't. Um, I'm still in the process of working on it. But I do, I do have a deadline um, of January, <laughs> January 2020. So there will be, if you follow my um, social media, and you know, then you'll you're going to know when it's launched. Or if you're a, if you're a subscriber, so I have an e-newsletter. 
if you subscribe, you'll also know when it's available to do. You can also, um, I am taking a wait list at the moment, so you can sign up to go on, well, not a wait list. Is it a wait list? I actually don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word. But basically on the web page where the details about it are, you can um, like sign up to stay informed of when it's going to be available. Cool. And would they yeah. go to your website to sign up for that newsletter? Yes. Yep. What is the URL for that website? Um, so it's just my name. So I'll spell it because, I mean, you'll have it written in terms of the promotion for this podcast. But yes. um, so it's my name, Ruth Hatton. So R-U-T-H-H-A-T-T-E-N.com. That's it. Perfect. And that's the same as your Instagram handle as well. It's just yeah, that's at the same as, Ruth yeah. Hatton. At Ruth Hatton. <laughs> yeah. Easy. Easy, easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the best way is just you. There are numerous places on the website where you can sign up. You can also sign up via Instagram. The link in my bio, there's a sign up option there too. So, yeah. Great. <laughs> Do you work for the Animal Protection Institute and currently advocate for animals through a number of organizations? Can you tell us a little bit about what you've learned through this experience and what changes you think uh, most need to be made to the world and the way people treat animals? Yeah, unfortunately, what I've learned is not very positive. Mm. Um, so it's probably ending on a bit of a downer, really, but I'll try and, I'll try and pick it up a bit. Um, the biggest thing I learned is that the law, as it currently stands, just does not protect animals adequately. Mm. Um, and also that there's a real disconnect between, um, or many people have a disconnect between the importance and the inherent value of animals. You know, there's this kind of humans as superior, you know, animals are there for our, to, for our use and for our enjoyment and for our entertainment. And therefore we can treat them however we want to treat them because they're just animals, you know, and completely ignoring that we are animals too. Um, and there's just a complete disregard um, that, you know, animals matter, just as much as we do and they did it they deserve to live their lives free from harm just as we do um so in one of the roles i had in terms of animal protection which was my animal lawyer role in sydney we had you know um one of our main focuses focus areas was factory farming i know in the u.s you call it like um capo so what does that mean again condensed animal factory operation or something like that. But basically intensive farming. I've got a book on it, an American okay. book called KFO. Um, so basically factory farming has to stop. That's one of the things that I've learned from that experience because that causes, the harm, that causes harm to the biggest number of animals across the globe is factory farming. So if you're an animal lover, um, you know, you love animals, then the best way to help animals is to not support that industry in any way, shape or form. And I know that's hard for some. It can be hard because you either, well, it depends. If you still want to eat meat, then it's about eating free range or organic meat. And that's obviously more expensive because it has a higher welfare aspect to it. And for some people, that's not an option. But I say also lentils are really cheap. Um, right. <laughs> you know, veggies, veggies, lentils, all kind of legumes, you know, doesn't have to cost a fortune kind of thing. Right. But yeah, so... Um, and yeah, obviously 
you know, if, if the whole world weren't vegan, then that would be great in terms of, you know, the animals and the environment yeah. and what have you. But, you know, this isn't a vegan podcast, so I won't go. <laughs> um, also, you, animals being used as a source of entertainment. Like we just had the Melbourne Cup here um, this week um, and pretty much every year a horse dies. I actually don't know if a horse has died this year. I, like I try just not to, like I've just had enough of it kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are always injuries. There are jockeys now who are getting um, fined for excessive use of the whip and things like that. So, you know, racing, rodeo, circuses, you know, animals as entertainment, it's just like they're not here to, to entertain us. They're right. here to they're here to coexist with us and receive love from us and also give us love back. You know, it's a mutual relationship. I've um, um I've really yeah. been so Sarah and I are both avid horseback riders and we have our own horses and things. Um, I've recently I I watched a documentary about steeple chasing and wow, in at least you know every race they expect at least one or two horses to go down. And uh, from Sarah and I's experience, we're very light with our horses. And um, we just, I can't imagine, in no circumstance would a horse ever go down in any of the things that we do every day. If they Mm. did, it would be horrific. And, um, you know, we'd stop whatever we were doing immediately. So I just don't understand how that kind of archaic form is still being allowed. And not to mention racing, but steeplechasing you know, when they're actually going down every single time, it's, it's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. So but thank it's a you. Hard, it's a hard battle to fight. It is because a lot of people love it. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. I know everyone needs to stop watching it immediately. Oh yeah. Just, just ban it. I say just, if I, if I was the ruler of the world, there would be no <laughs> yeah. racing. Agreed. <laughs> Um, if some per- if someone is interested in learning more about who you are, obviously they go to your website. They could learn more there. We've learned that they should um, definitely sign up for your newsletter so they can get updates. Um, and it sounds like we can all become clients too, which is so exciting. Totally, like yeah. except for massage, I haven't figured out a way yet to do massage through the computer. But <laughs> certainly, <laughs> certainly. Um, the nutritional therapy and the Reiki, I offer all of that online. And I've actually had a client before um, from the US, from Texas. Wow. Um, yeah, so that worked really well. And when you do it online, you actually get a recording of the consult. So you have it available there as a forever resource. Oh, cool. um, so, yeah, it's, we're still face-to-face. You know, I still say, Where's your cat? Where's your dog? Can you bring them to the camera? Because obviously that's why I do it. So I still want to see them and go, hello. But um, yeah, so the best way, the best way is um, to find me is on my website um, and everything kind of like goes out, goes out from there. Um, I recently started doing um, committing, committed to doing weekly videos. So you can oh, see okay. all of them on my IGTV channel, but I've also started putting them up on YouTube as well. Um, so I don't know what my handle is on YouTube, but if you just go onto my website, you'll see the little icon. You just click on it and take you right to it. You know, so that's why I say, you know, yep, go to the website. You'll find everything there. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have so enjoyed this talk. I feel like we've definitely 
um, you know, validated some of the research that we had done before um, and also learned so, so much new things. Really appreciate your time. Thank yes. you very much, ladies. It's been a pleasure. Sarah, wow. She was incredible. Oh my gosh, I was so impressed by that interview. Talk about a lot of dog knowledge and just, you know, dedication to your craft. Absolute passion for what she does and just so much experience and expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I mean, like I, I had, you know, done a little bit of research on her website and written down a couple of topics and I didn't realize how in-depth they were. Like we could do an episode on each one of the topics on her website. We could do several episodes on them. I know. We definitely found ourselves running way over time. We, and we totally, at, at certain points, we totally forgot about our script and just got lost in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It was, I mean, I like every interview that we do, but this has definitely been one of my favorites, if not my very favorite so far. Same. And it was really interesting that a lot of the things that we had kind of come to the conclusion on through all of our different research, it was corroborated a little bit in what she was saying. And I was so excited that it feels like we're on that same path that she's kind of gone down through all of her years of research. Yeah, exactly. So Sarah, I have to ask you, what do you think about, there's a few things that I think are a little bit more controversial than our normal episodes. Mm-hmm. Things like, and she brought up, brought it up too, things like Reiki and also um, going vegan in order to really promote animal welfare. Um, those are some of the big topics that were talked about in this episode. And while I agree with her wholeheartedly, um, it's, I'm not sure that I can live a vegan lifestyle. And then also Reiki, I do have some questions of my own, but someone that's as credible as Ruth, I feel so much more comfortable with it. Like, what are your thoughts? What do you think about these things? I think so in terms of going vegan, it's something I'd like to try. I, I thought at least of going vegetarian, have tried vegetarian diets in the past, um, and what I have landed on right now is I only buy meat from Whole Foods at the and because the Whole Foods has <laughs> that rating system, right? So I can make sure I'm buying meat. I call it Happy Animals. <laughs> so I mean, I only buy meat that's like free range, certified humane, like farm raised, all that stuff. Right. Um, and that's kind of the balance I found. What that it is way more expensive though. So what I do is I just don't buy meat as often. So. I'm not vegan, but I like Andy and I eat vegetarian most nights of the week. And instead of eating meat, we incorporate other things like tofu, um, which is, can be really good if you prepare it right. Um, mushrooms, which kind of taste like meat also, depending on how you prepare them. And lentils, different beans, um, chickpeas, things like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, she mentioned that it's also, she even brought up that it's cheaper to go vegan, which is a good point. It definitely is. Meat is expensive. Um, and I wish that, I think that they've been trying to regulate the meat industry for quite some time with the, you know, how the animals are being processed and things like that. But I think there's just so many issues that I think that's why she's kind of going straight to, okay, let's just, let's just forget about trying to, um, 
make it more humane and let's just forget about it altogether. So I'm not sure that I, I, I would be able to do vegan. I definitely feel more inspired to try it. And I kind of think I'm going to try it this week. See how it I go, how, how it does. <laughs> okay. Just make sure you do some research. I'll do it with you on like some good vegan recipes because otherwise it, we're going to crash and burn. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be like, Oh, another salad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let's really try to do it. And um, we, we always have say that we're going to do a few things for our episode. So we really have to do this one. <laughs> so one recipe I've been using a lot recently <clears throat> that is, um, a vegan recipe is, um, this chickpea pasta dish. Mm. The pasta noodles, you can get them at the grocery store are actually made of chickpeas. Yeah. Chickpea flour. They are so good. And um, they're much higher in protein because chickpeas have protein than normal pasta, also higher in fiber. Um, and so, and I think they're gluten-free, so it's just much better for you than normal pasta. And then I mix that with a bunch of different vegetables. I'll make like a homemade pesto to put on top of it and put some mushrooms in there. And all that mixed together, it's really good and so filling. So um, yeah. that's what I would recommend. That sounds absolutely delicious. Um, and then I have to know, what are your thoughts on Reiki? And would you try? It's amazing that we could actually be clients of Ruth's. And it's something that I am definitely going to schedule an appointment with her just to get information on like nutrition and what's best for Charlie and Brody. And but I have to know, what, what are your thoughts on Reiki? So that's a great idea. Um, in terms of Reiki, I'm still not sure. Um, I want to keep an open mind though. So I'm not saying I don't believe that Reiki is a thing. Right. I'm just not sure. So um, I think we have to experience it. I've never done it. I don't know if you have. Right, right. I haven't either. Um, but I don't know. I really enjoyed and trusted everything Ruth had to say. So I'd be open to it. Yes, she got me before talking to Ruth. I was definitely like, oh, Reiki, I'm, I'm just, I don't feel strongly about it but after talking with Ruth I am pretty convinced because she is so credible she's so legitimate and I'd love to learn more about what she has to say absolutely so if anyone wants to hear more about what Ruth has to offer definitely go to her website which is www.ruthhatton.com and that's r-u-t-h-h-a-t-t-e-n.com Yay. And if you're not following us on social media already, you should, because then you can see our cute dog photos um, and pictures of Rocky. Was it Rocky? Yes, Rocky. Yeah, pictures of Rocky and the other rescue dogs we talk about every week. Um, so follow us on Instagram. We're at whatisdogcast. You can also email us. Dogcasters at whatisdog.com. Yay! <laughs> got it um you know what we should also say we have a website we never talk about this this is our website because we have a blog there also (laughs) whatisdog.com we put a lot of time into our blog and we literally never talk about it i know it's very secret blog (laughs) (laughs) and hint for everyone you actually get the (laughs) podcast a day earlier if you are watching the website we post it the night before um so that you can get a little sneak peek So visit us at www.whatisdog.com. Hey. 
All right, bye everybody. Bye.